Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to see you and get up with you this week. We're going to talk a few texts and think about preaching for this sixth Sunday after Pentecost. These are the texts for July the 9th, 2023. We got good stuff happening here, Bubba, and uh, we will get to it. Just want to start off today with a quick uh, reminder and announcement in case anybody might have missed it last week. We are going to be coming back this fall with a live lectionary lab preaching workshop preparing for Advent Year B. Um, That uh, live workshop is going to be September the 26th through the 28th at uh, the Luther Ranch. Retreat Center. Did I get the right Luther, Bubba? Yeah, you Is did. I, Luther Ranch. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down Luther Ridge and I said, wait a minute, that's not right. Uh, Luther Ranch Retreat Center in Tallapoosa, Georgia. We will uh, hope have very shortly a registration link for that and we'll get that up. But just want to uh, be sure you all have a chance to get it on your calendar now. Uh, our first time to be back live and I guess four years or so, September 26th to the 28th. Come join us for the uh, preaching workshop in Georgia. Uh, Other than that, Bubba, I'm looking forward to getting in our text today and uh, keep on rocking with some Genesis, some Romans, some gospel and the other stuff. And uh, it's been a good summer so far. Tell us what you got on your mind today. Well, I'm going to try to simplify as best I can a, a possibilities that run through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven various texts to look at today in one way or another, and we're going to Mm -hmm. keep it short with some of them and and run through it. So there are two sets of Hebrew scripture uh, tracks, and uh, we'll take each of those in turn, and then the New Testament work, Christian scripture. But, you know, in my ever- exciting quest to have a theme for every show every i just need i need a hook to hang this on need a hook to hang it all on yes that's it uh but i have one this week that works for me and because it's one of those lines that is a key beautiful phrase but is also a key spiritual definition for people of faith and i've always Mm -hmm. loved this line it's nine zachariah nine twelve prisoners of hope yeah it has always been a beautiful description to me of what it means to be um a follower of jesus christ a follower of yahweh a person who is an inheritor of the promise and um so i'm going to take that phrase prisoner of hope and talk about each of our texts we have today Mm -hmm. or sets of texts uh the first set uh, from the Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament, is uh, Genesis 24. Uh, Genesis 24 is uh, a kind of romantic tale, and as one points out, except for uh, the servants, the unnamed servants' interpretation, 
of praying and then God did this thing. God is not in this in any interesting kind of way, but this is uh, underneath this romantic tale of how Isaac got a wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this uh, Abrahamic promise of Genesis 12. And Abraham and Isaac are both prisoners of hope. They mm. have the hope that comes from the promise, and they have to work to make to, in their mm. their end because of the hope. They they you know, and Abraham, yeah. I, I I don't want to marry one of these local people. That's not a part of the way the promise works. Right, right. But, and you know this this. And Isaac's like, well, yeah, there are lots of good girls I went to high school with. What do you mean I've got to get a girl from the old country? No, we got to go back home, son. Yeah. And there's a part of that that's underneath is a sense of that, that hope, prisoner of that hope, and yet can't give up on it. Yeah. I just going to say, we won't go back into the, you need to marry one of your cousins, but let's, we'll move <laughs> well, on with that. Cousin is an exp- kinfolk is an expansive term. I don't. It is questionable it is. how close they were related <laughs> here. <laughs> you know, uh, the this and then both of the um, the psalm and the song Solomon are just kind of romantic additions, and we'll look at that mm-hmm. after a while. Mm-hmm. The second set of texts is where this t- this comes from: the prisoner of hope, and this is. Well, post-exilic return, but it also is this series of what happened afterwards was not exactly. Uh, they weren't a real strong country. They kept having people come back. And forth. This is probably around the time of Alexander the Great. And it, but the prisoner of hope is that continued hope for a messianic Davidic king, right? And what would happen right. when that king came? And and the psalm goes with it. Romans. Um, this is every person's ethical dilemma. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. And and in terms of the prisoner of hope, diet, subs, whatever substance, whatever ethical moral thing, we are prisoner of to the hope mm. that we can be better. We are prisoners yeah. to hope. Mm. And in Matthew... Uh, we'll explore this more deeply, but in the midst of all of this, when he talks about rejections and um, difficulties of following Jesus, there is the prison. We are the prisoners of hope that God will be there. It is an easy task. God is present with us. Whatever difficulties we're facing, whatever burdens we carry, we can carry on because we have the hope. So I just love right. the phrase prisoner of hope. Think it's a yeah, just, something to play with. I think it's a good way to get through this. And uh, the, especially the, the gospel, I'm going to admit this little section of Matthew is a little strange, but yeah. that gives a way to you know, get at it and explore yep. it. So yeah, let's do it. Here we go. So Genesis 24, and it skips through this story. So one of the things to know is this Genesis 24 kind of tells the same story about three different times, right. <laughs> you know, and so this is an attempt to just present it. The, what the text we have is the servant talking to Rebecca's brother and he, he's doing it rhetorically with a spin mm-hmm. to convince Laban that mm-hmm. he should let Rebecca come because it's God's will. Yeah. 
So, you know, the basic story is that Abraham sends him out and says, you know, I'm scared Isaac's going to marry one of these local girls, and we don't want that. We need one from the old country. I think the immigrant experience in America might be more appropriate to that rather than I want her to marry one of the cousins. Mm. It's more (laughs) along. Y'all know I'm I'm not you bring out the cousin connection. (laughs) No, it's more like that that kind of thing of one of our folks. Home folks. folks. And and I've I've, you know, I'm just trying to reach for something Mm -hmm. that 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 we've Mm -hmm. experienced on Mm -hmm. in film and and TV of of immigrant communities and looking to marry within the faith Mm -hmm. is a certain way of putting it. That's a good way. Yeah, yeah, within the faith, and that has happened a lot. And so, uh, <clears throat> this unnamed servant, I'm like, right, you know what Abraham sends him to do? Go find <laughs> a girl and convince her to come back and marry the son of the guy who left home and wandered over into this far country, mm-hmm. and leave get her also to leave all her family and yeah. friends everything she's ever known for a guy she's never seen yeah well you know the servant ain't no dummy and abraham is no dummy and sends him with plenty of goods and right you know you read some of the verses we're not reading and he's putting gold uh bracelets yeah. on her and he's you know he's certain when they come you know in and they're gonna bed down the you know, the animals, if they can see all the packs of gold and silver and stuff that he's brought. He, he whips know? out the checkbook and shows yeah. the balance. That's it. He says, know? now, my, my master also has a, a nice dowry uh, prize. Yeah. So, yeah, th- he's no dummy. But There's he does no dummy. He does spin a good good tale. Yeah. So then he gets there and he has this thing where he says, now, hmm, how am I going to know which one? And this is one of those, uh, you know, put your fleece before the Lord to bring in a different biblical story. It's kind of like the one who does this. And there's kind of this edge of she's very, you know, she goes above and beyond. You know, you can interpret what a nice girl she is or whatever. But it's the sign. And this is the only presence we have. Got. So. He does this thing, and Rebecca says the key, the you know, the password, and then he goes and he uses this. And so you've got to remember, we're in the middle of a speech that he's making to Laban to try to get him to uh, let Rebecca go, and so this all sort of works out, and he hears the story and. They they say yeah we'll go now who knows whether it's they're convinced by his version that I said and you I knew you were going to say that and all this or the finances were good <laughs> who knows they agreed then you got this last part of the story which is the romantic love story part where you know you can see this with with uh, what do they do with the the lenses on a movie you know to make it yeah look and they healthy. put the hearts around it and stuff. hearts around it and and that slow motion as he's coming across. I love the story, storytelling. Yeah. Coming across the field, and she mm-hmm. sees, "Who's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's my master." Ooh. Slips up the veil. Yeah, let me yeah, hops off, off the, the makeup, camel. You know, mm-hmm. hops off the whole routine. It is a little, you know, with the cousin thing. Also, just joking around, he took her into his mother Sarah's tent. That's just. <laughs> The language of the day. The language of the day. Basically, (laughs) Sarah had already died, and so there's a new matriarch for the family. This is a signal. 
this is the new mistress. She's the new mistress for everything. And so uh, we have that. So the preaching underneath this is, is what I talked about earlier. Abraham and Isaac and are the prisoners of the hope of the promise of the family, mm-hmm. the land, the family. So the the son has been born, but we know you got to have more than that to have uh, descendants. No, no we, line will continue without a daughter in continue. And also there's a little element in the writing of this, uh, you know, when it was written, of uh, continuing to assert we don't, we need to maintain our separateness from the Canaanites, whether that's racially motivated, uh, culturally, and there are multiple two levels, but it's a part of that commitment to be these ch- this chosen people. That element is there as they search for that person. Yeah. But the trust that God will provide, there's another element there. Isaac's life has this God provided the sacrifice. That God provides a wife. There's yeah. this sense of God provision. Yeah. So one of the questions one might ask as we tell this story is, how much do we believe feel that God is active in the minutia of our lives? Is God a God of that set the world in motion, sit back, and we're on our own? Or is God involved in our life? I remember C.S. Lewis talking about Walking, uh, went through his life and thought he was a free and independent agent, making his own choices at all times. And then, but looking back, he saw God's hand in so many mm-hmm. things. So, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a a good sermonic exploration moment with this text. A good way to play with this story. Yeah, harmonic. And is it? That's it. There, there's there's got to be somewhere in between. God set the world in order and then took off and never gave it another thought. And on the other hand, we're completely on our own. Uh, there, there's, and I believe this is the story Genesis is telling, uh, the story of the somewhere in between, uh, that, that God is uh, paying attention, involved. We, we see God appear from time to time. Uh, we see that, yeah, Abram has to do his part, and Isaac's going to need to do his part. Later we'll see Jacob, Joseph, so on. Uh, so, yeah, it's up to us to read the stories and, and riddle those things out and think those things out. Just to what degree is God involved in the details of my life, our life? I don't think God has forgotten us, but neither is God pulling all the strings. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I want to say, too, it's not much, but there is this sort of minor thread through Genesis where we see the strength of the female characters revealed, yes. and they're almost yeah. always in the background. Yep. But there are some strong women here. And so we yep. get that little touch in verse 58. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Right. And she said, ah, I will. So, you know, it's it's the, she didn't have to assent. They didn't have yeah. to ask her. Of course, they were actually trying to maybe extort a little more cash out of uh, <laughs> the servant at that point. But don't worry about that. There is a touch, just like a we've choice. seen Sarah in the background. It's pretty strong. Now we've got Rebecca, pretty strong. And certainly we're going to get to Rachel 
uh, who's pretty strong. But Rebecca is is one of the strongest of the female characters here. And we get a little hint of that in this story. Well, one of the things, as you say that, and I think lift that up, is you see, for good or ill, you see mm-hmm. Sarah and then Rebecca and, and others. Well, mm-hmm. within the constraints that they are placed under, then they they maneuver and connive because there's no other way to exert power. They're using the power they have. They have. That's right. They don't, and they then, so you can look at it one way. And, but people who are in um, subject, are in subjection find ways to rebel and to maneuver within that context. And that's one of the things she, she and Sarah and, and others in this line will see that over and over again, mm-hmm. that they assert that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, and I think, John, that we better, uh, as a couple of white guys, we need to, men, we need to stop opining too much about what women are up to. There you <laughs> Just, go. We're aware I, yeah. that that's a good thing. Uh, the two texts, yeah. Psalm 45, um, um, is especially written psalm for kingly marriage. And this one reflects a bit mm-hmm. on the bride. And then the Song of Solomon has the bride reflecting on her groom. And they're both picked for that second half yeah. of that text, the romantic mm-hmm. uh, they fell in love kind of, as much as you can see mm-hmm. that in those kind of texts. Okay. Zechariah 9, 9 through 12 and the psalm. Uh, first of all, this is a fairly um, familiar text at one level because it's used in Matthew 21 and John 12 for uh, Palm, Sunday. Palm Sunday. And we need to be careful. To not overly read it Christianly today, it's not, we shouldn't do that. We should think in terms of the context. Uh, the context, so Zechariah is an interesting book. Chapters 1 through 8 are um, immediately after the return, and then chapters 9 through 12 much later, and but using the same voice to reflect on some things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happened after the return is this sense of desire to be totally restored to previous sense of their power and 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 it never happened right uh the rest of the the kingdom was mostly um well a vassal of other large kingdoms that mm-hmm. people walked back and forth across them and there was this longing for what it would be like to have a true davidic king yeah. Uh there's a sup you know, you can read the commentaries. This is a, probably around the time of Alexander the Great came through and there was a lot of is this the one that's going to restore our fortunes? And Zachar the writer of Zechariah is saying, Let me tell you what a true Davidic king will be like. Yeah. yeah. Not just when, but what will happen when a true Davidic king comes. And you look at it, uh rejoice greatly. Shout, O oh daughter, when your it's a lo your king comes, let's think when your king comes, triumphant, mm-hmm. victorious, then here's the shift. Humble and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's that that uh more humble kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um you have in nine ten the first part, um 
cutting off the chariots. Now, one way you look at it, you say, oh, he beat them. But then you got this line, command peace to the nations. The true Davidic Messiah, it's shifting into Messiah. The true Davidic king will bring peace, Mm -hmm. dominion to the ends of the earth. Set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. That's what a great turn of phrase. What a great turn of phrase. And it could be prisoners that are down in a dungeon with no water. Mm -hmm. It could be a more spiritual kind of thing, an image of what it's like to be Israel and, you know, not triumphant. And it's, but he'll set us free from whatever torture we've been under. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. And then basically it's saying, continue to have hope. Realize that when the true Davidic king comes, peace and being set free is is what's going Today I declare that I will restore to you double. And this, this is when you find out, oh, this is the voice of God. Right. Making another, a promise of restoration. So, um, and Psalm 145 continues that. It's an alphabetic psalm that extols the greatness of God. And so we have this section that's talking about Yahweh's grace, mercy, and and steadfast love, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll give thanks to you. So it's, it's, it's when the, the Messiah comes, it is an agent of God who has come mm-hmm. to rescue us. Mm-hmm. The whole focus for this then has to do, again, with the whole prisoners of hope, that in the midst of the situation we find ourselves in, do we succumb to just say, this is the best of life can be, and we'll just mm-hmm. figure a maneuver a way to get through it? Or do we hold out for the future of yeah. peace? And that is a key question for people of faith today. No matter where we are in the United States, wherever we might be in the world, uh, mm-hmm. there is there is no kingdom of God come on earth yet, right? And the question of for people of faith is, do we just accept the world as a, as it is, and we just do the best we can to get by within it, right? Or do we have a vision of a messianic kingdom? Mm-hmm to which we hold ourselves prisoner, prisoner of yeah. hope, and that's my Prisoners thing. of hope. Prisoners yeah. of hope. And do we work toward that, not realizing that we and our efforts do not make the kingdom come? Yeah. But yet we do not give up the hope that it'll come as, uh, here's a Luther pill for the day. Oh, okay. Uh, the, in a small catechism, he says, when we pray thy kingdom come, we realize it comes of its own volition, not because we pray for it. So in this petition, we pray that we, when it comes, we will be a part of it. Mm, yeah. That we yeah. are a part of it now and into the future. Right. Uh, well, there's a lot going on here. And, it, and if we pay attention, we see it in Genesis. And it's definitely related to these ideas of the kingship in Psalms, uh, in the prophets, especially these late. Uh, breaking prophets. Um, God's work in the world, God's uh, building out of the covenant promise, it's a thing that takes a while yep. from our perspective. And we've seen that uh, illustrated in Genesis with 
you know, how long does Sarah and Abraham wait? You know, Isaac's getting on up in years. How long does he wait? They're all waiting for a child, waiting, 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 waiting. Um, and the this whole idea of the kingship, uh, working in Psalms this summer, um, I've done a good bit of exploring here and it never really quite put together and realized this kingly language that is used in the Psalms and the prophets and how that expectation built over time in right. the nation of Israel. You have the king representing Malach HaOlam, the high king, the king of the universe, God. And, and so imbued in this kingship and the earthly kings are described by various terms, Adonai, Elohim, and one that really pops up to our ears, Mashiach. And, and they're all called this. And you're like, well, how is the king? Uh, those are words that are used for God and, and this Mashiach. Well, it's this very hope, and it builds and it yep. builds, and particularly the hope for Messiah, Mashiach, and that is fever pitch by the time Jesus yep. is born. And I was listening to uh, a lecture online this week uh, from uh, a professor at Yale, and he said, now in the time of Jesus, there were at least, you know, three or four other messiah candidates that arose there there were others he said of course jesus is the only one that uh that made it you know and, and it's his claim that stuck but it it really is and it, it gave me insight into what you were just talking about this this search for a king this this final king that would come and to why jesus speaks so much about the kingdom of right. God, the kingdom right. of heaven, and why we pray every week. Um, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are literally sort of reading and stepping into the middle of a whole stream of development here that should help us understand God's purpose is worked out in the world, but in our vernacular, it just takes a while, yep. and uh, then that's yeah, into all other all other things about uh, you know a kingdom that's uh, here but not yet, and so on and so forth. But good stuff. So, well, recently, recently, I have found myself going back and doing some things. One of the things uh, on on YouTube, some debates um, there between people like John Lennox, who is a mathematician and apologist with atheists and various ones. I, I prefer the ones with the, like Peter Singer, the, uh, the um, ethicist at uh, Princeton University or others, because for me, uh, there always have been only two, uh, two, two options. One is faith and the other is atheism. Uh, you can you can look at this world, and and I can't argue with the 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 what comes down to a problem of evil mm. uh, argument against the existence of God. Mm. You know, and I'll say you're right. You're right. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. And the only argument you have in return is the 
one that scientifically you cannot prove, which is the witness of the church, the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures and the church and people of faith that God is real, God is present, and God is active, and I am a prisoner of the hope for the future. And there's this this peace going on, and you have to acknowledge, I think, it's it's too easy sometimes to say, oh, well, they're just, they're not paying attention to the, the evidence that's out there. Yes, they are, the atheists. They, they are looking at the evidence. It's just that the pieces of evidence that mean so much to us are so hard, are not empirically able to prove. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge that to have a conversation with that. And I think that position, this is where I'm getting it, uh, homiletically, we have to realize there are a whole lot more people, including on our pews, that are feeling that struggle with believing mm-hmm. there's a God active in the world and being involved in what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And and finding a way to not just say it, but to live it. So this mm-hmm. is the thing. There ha- we have to find a way to proclaim with with integrity what it means that God is in the world working toward this. And we are the body of Christ in the world. Mm-hmm. We are called to put that in action. Not that we'll bring God's kingdom, but we're to be a part right. of it. And this is, this is what Zachariah is talking about. Look around and look for that Messiah who brings the peace and mm-hmm. be a part of that peace. Live as though yeah. that Messiah is already here. Yeah. Move on. We've got to move on to Romans. I could I could play around with this issue all day long, but Romans is even more important because it's struggling with ethical issues. And boy, mm-hmm. have I done that my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the questions with Romans 7, uh, when he says, I do not understand my own actions, and it's very ego-centered. I mean, ego in the Greek sense of the I, I statements throughout. Mm -hmm. Is this Paul's autobiographical testimony? Or is this kind of a creative nonfiction, a way of expressing our common human experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and taking it on? But I, I think... Mostly it's the first. I think Paul is very clearly talking about his own mm-hmm. uh, his own struggle, but I think he does it in such a way that all of us can identify. Yeah. From as simple a thing as uh, our annual failure at a diet. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. You know, and I choose to do this thing and I end up doing the other, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, moral rearmament, you know, uh, that's a phrase from the thirties and forties, but basically it has to do with most of us have some vice that we struggle with and we Mm -hmm. keep trying to tell ourselves to be more virtuous. What about substance abuse? Um, the distance between human aspiration and human abilities, what we're talking mm. about here. And it can, like I said, it can go from the issues of diet and health and exercise mm-hmm. to deep issues of um, yeah, of any kind of moral 
problem that we may have, and it's not enough just to say no. I mean, remember Nancy Reagan, just say no. Just say no? Yeah, that didn't work too well. That didn't work too well <laughs> with anybody. And the question that Paul raises is a, is a universal human question. Uh, as Miss Sally Spoon at Hebron United Methodist Church in Caswell County said one night, I had taken her to hear her granddaughter sing at uh, a local church, not of our denomination, and we had heard a rap, rap, rousing, pew rattling, <laughs> roof raising evangelical sermon about how awful we were. Mm-hmm. And on the home, way back to drop Miss Sally at her house and go on home, she said, I don't understand that sermon. I already know I ought to do better than I do. I just don't know how. Yeah. And I was thinking, first of all, as I was 20-something and she was 75 or so and the nicest, sweetest human being I met, and I'm thinking, what mm. in the world are you judging yourself for? Yeah. I already yeah. know how to do better than I know to do better than I do. I just don't know I, how. Yeah, I thought you were going to say maybe she said, "Do you know what that feller was so upset about?" Yeah, what was he mad it. at? Who was he mad at? <laughs> yeah. But that's the essential question. You know, I already know yeah. how to do better than I do. I just don't know how. That's it. It is a a very eternally frustrating thing. I, whenever I read, whenever I read this text, this is will resonate with people of my generation, maybe a little older, a little younger. Saturday morning cartoons. There was a, seemed to be frequently when a character was struggling between doing a good thing and a bad thing. Suddenly, they would be the cartoon devil on one shoulder and the cartoon yeah. angel on the other whispering yep. in their ear. And this is an image mm-hmm. that stuck with me. And yeah. th- this is how Paul is, you know, he's one voice is saying, you know, you should do this. Mm-hmm. And the other voice is saying, no. oh, enjoy yourself. Have a yeah. good time. Um, the Lutheran book of worship. Um, this is just because I led worship out of it for 20, 30 years. And we've, changed in to a different worship format uh, mm-hmm. but the language still sticks with me for the prayer of confession i am in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves mm-hmm. we are in bondage to sin yeah. and cannot free ourselves that's what he's talking about we can't fix it mm-hmm. um alexander saltz and Nitsen, quote comes to mind when he talks about people try to draw a line between good and evil mm-hmm. in the world. And uh, you can find this quote somewhere in which he said, the line between good and evil goes right down the middle of every human heart. Mm-hmm. We all struggle with it. We do indeed. And Paul, uh, in this section, even in English, it comes through. Wax is about as poetic as as Paul ever gets. He yeah. there's a there's a in the Greek there's a lot of wordplay here, and it yeah. comes through somewhat in yeah. English. And um, you know, I'm sure many of us, most of you, will have a, a lector reading these or whatever. This is a passage it it pays to get a little rehearsal in on. And all of the, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. If I do what I do not want, you know, and 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 so it sort of pops as you go along. 
it can be confusing. Wait, which one are we doing now? Do yeah. not or do, but you know, make it clear just the the vocal presentation of it uh, carries part of the message here. So and, and sets us up for the day sets us up. Yeah, for that very that very thing. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me? And you're thinking. Who will rescue me from listening to all of this? <laughs> and finally, well, thanks be to God. Yeah. 21 through 23, then he plays with a proposed answer. You know, notice he suddenly says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do, that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost mm-hmm. self, but in my members, another law at war with the law of my mind. So, so captive to the law of sin that dwells. So he's playing with mm-hmm. law, right? And saying the law is not going to fix this, right? Whatever law, um, you know, Torah can help, but ultimately, wretched man comes to it with twenty four and twenty five. He comes to the. It's beautifully done conclusion. Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Mm-hmm. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. Shorthand. Mm-hmm. Boom. We can't fix it. It works. God can. And it I works. think you're going to preach on this. You got to build the sermon around that kind of thing. He sets up the problem. He proposed talks about one answer. Now, we can talk about that answer in 21.3 without saying, and the law of the Jews was inadequate. You don't have to say that. We okay. all come up with our laws. We come up with our diet plans, plan after plan, our moral realm. I remember reading the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin when I was in high school and his list of things the way he's going to improve himself. <laughs> you know, there's a section in there and all this moral rearmament kind of stuff he's going to do and it didn't work the things we do the way we plan the things we efforts we do you can go the self-help section is three times the size of the religion section in any bookstore Mm -hmm. we got all these ways we're going to fix it most of it doesn't work and you Mm -hmm. talk about that in the sermon and talk about what works is a renewal and a change of our life and our heart Nothing yep. else will work, according to Paul. All right, moving to Matthew eleven sixteen through nineteen twenty five through thirty. It is a confusing bit. I owe a great deal, as I often do, New Testament wise, to uh, Fred Craddock and some of his work with this. And just a reminder that not only was Fred Craddock a uh, homiletics professor, his PhD was in New Testament. He was a New Testament scholar. Uh, and he he is helpful. Go ahead. And I was just going to say, and let that be a lesson to you, boys and girls. Fred Craddock from Fruitland, Tennessee, <laughs> not in, not even incorporated, little spot outside of Humboldt. Yeah, now, years later, he'd tell people he's from Humboldt, Tennessee, little town yeah. in West Tennessee. The fellow worked hard, hard, hard to learn his lessons. Yes, yep. he did. So Fred um, talks about, the first of all, when you, as a preacher, you need to be aware that people hear this, and they'll hear this last little bit, 
uh, the 28 and 29, beautiful, 30, mm -hmm. the beautiful text, come unto me, to all me. you who are heavy laden. And what they'll hear is any personal burden they've got in their life right now. Just give it to the Lord. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, etc. And he said, the problem with that is it's true, but not contextually. And for mm. the preacher to come in and say, all right, I know what y'all think this means. Hmm. you know you become the heavy so hmm. you got to be careful how you approach this to lead up to it. but what this text is dealing with is a different situation because jesus has done uh two things leading up to this point in matthew one is the whole sermon on the mount which is a large ethical standard uh, and most people say wow you look at that i'd go back to the law you know, you're not supposed to not to murder anybody. Jesus, don't even hate them. You know, mm -hmm. you know the raising the ante. So there's that. Yes. And then there's also um, this push of saying, and you can't figure this out yourself. You know, the wisdom thing. And people are going to be hard on you for following me. So I've yeah. did this backwards. So let's go forward with it. So you've got where he's preached all of the 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 higher ethical standards in the Sermon on the Mount. You've had this section we've been dealing with, the cost of discipleship and what it means to follow me. And then he says, you know, people are fickle. <laughs> we got the section yeah. um, 16 through 19, which is kind of like consumer religion. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't make these people happy. Um, you know, that, that old story that, Children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance, we wailed, and you did not mourn. What do you want? You didn't yeah. want to party, you didn't want to play funeral, what are we going to do? John came, and he was an ascetic figure, and we didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't like that. And Here comes Jesus, and he's a party animal compared to John. Didn't, you like, know, that. He yeah. didn't like that. And Jesus isn't saying this to the crowd. He's saying this to the disciples said be warned then 20 through 24 is more of the same just about jesus himself then it seems a strange switch to 25 through 27 but what mm -hmm. he did is <clears throat> it comes out of the sophia wisdom theology it seems more common in the kind of johanny context it's the only place we find this kind of thing in the in the synoptic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the point is that, and you're not going to figure this out other than through grace and revelation. You will not be able to argue with this fickle generation and prove to them that what I have called you to is the truth. Yeah. You will not be able to prove it. It has been revealed. God's grace is revealed through me, through the gospel, mm -hmm. through the telling. And you take up your cross and follow me. And if you measure the two burdens against one another, actually, objectively, Jesus' burden looks harder in the, hmm. to the people he's talking to. Just be a good, law-following, kosher Jew, and get along and everything will be fine. Or reject my culture and my people and follow hmm. this guy. Hmm. and follow him at these standards. And he assures them 
come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I think in this case, the burden is the burden of struggling with trying to live the law and it's not working. And I'll give you rest. But see, he doesn't say there won't be a yoke. It's a yeah, different you still, yoke. You take on a yoke, yeah. He said, we're taking on a different yoke. My yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the problem, as, as this is uh, one of my childhood preachers pointed out, that people think, come unto me, y'all that are weary and carrying heaven burdens, and I'll give you rest. And they say, oh, he's going to take it off and we're free. Yeah. They don't read the next part. There's still a yoke. It's just a different yeah. yoke. Mm-hmm. I'm gentle. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? If you objectively look at it, look at the Sermon on the Mount and look at the the standards mm-hmm. of the law. Look at him saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is not like unto it. Love your neighbor as mm-hmm. yourself with heart, mind, and soul. That's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. What's easy about that burden? I would argue that Matthew is saying it's easy because Christ is carrying it with us. The indwelling Christ and we're a part of the community of faith. Mm-hmm. My burden is light because I carry it with you. Becomes a double yoke. That's double right. Yoke. It's not that. I stand over here. Jesus stands over here and says, all right, carry that. And if you get here with it without dropping it, you get to go in the kingdom. Hmm. No, it's my burden. My my yoke is easy. Mm-hmm. Let's carry it together. Yeah. The indwelling Christ carries it with us. Right. And we carry it together as a community of faith. Yep. This is uh, one of those kind of themes we see played out through Scripture, and particularly here in the Gospel, that, you know, we are saved, you know, use the term in English, Jesus is, uh, God is saving us through our faith. We are saved not out of, as in being removed from, the struggle, the trouble, the, you know, the other things that we see. Again, let's go back to Zechariah and what he was saying to the people. Um, but we are being saved in the midst of and, and right. through and and we will endure, we will follow Christ, but to think that salvation is uh, that <laughs> get out of jail free or no more worries, no more struggles, everything's going to be great from here on out is, uh, yeah, it's not a, not a, a, a fair idea. It's, that's not what we're talking about here. And I don't think there's any way you can look at the life of Christ and in any way, see that that God issued Jesus a sort of get out of jail free card. Yeah. Jesus was saved through and in the midst of uh, the life he had to live, and so that's that's kind of what's going on here, I think. And yet, finding a way to let people know we are prisoners of hope. Yeah, and we may be more in the prison part right now, but the hope <laughs> is always there. There you yeah. go. There you go. All right.
Well, we can always turn a phrase ourselves when needed, and Bubba, I've enjoyed it. Uh, We'll be back next time. We'll let you all know some stuff going on for the rest of the summer. And again, don't forget, be thinking and checking your schedule for the Lectionary Lab Preaching Retreat coming up in September. We sure would love to see some of y'all there. Bubba, not much left for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps by Half.Cool. We go out today with God Help the King from the original soundtrack of The Prisoner of Zenda, composed by Henry Mancini. Mm-hmm.